from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Okay, let's open our Bibles. Romans 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Maybe you have, uh, might remember the bumper sticker. I used to see it around quite often that just basically had this little line in it. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Right? Probably remember that one? Okay. A few of us that are as old as me. Okay. Um, you know, implied in that quote, among other things, there's a lot of things implied in the quote, but one of the things that's implied is how is a Christian different from everybody else? I mean, our culture, in our culture, we expect Christians to do certain things. They're gonna, they're gonna act differently. They're gonna treat others a little more lovingly. They're gonna do random acts of kindness. They're going to serve their community. And Christians will pray, do religious things. They're gonna be friendly. But here's the question. What sets you as a Christian apart from, say, a Mormon? Or, or even using a, an odd term, a moral atheist. What sets you apart from them? What sets you apart from a Buddhist who is remarkably peaceful? What is the distinguishing mark of a Christian? What What is it? Is it a, is it a moral code? Is it a set of standards to live by or some spiritual disciplines that seem to guide your life? And if somebody were to walk up to you today, maybe uh, you're going to lunch today and you're sitting down at lunch and uh, and somebody says, where have you been today? And you say, well, I went to church. And they say, well, what, what, what makes you a Christian? What is the mark on your life that's a Christian? How would you answer them? Would you, would you point them to your good works, all the things that you do and, you know, how nice you are to your wife and how, how, how obedient your children are and, you know, how shiny your new car is? Would you, is there something else you'd point to? Would you say, well, I'm not, I'm not a drug addict. I don't do anything immoral. Would you say things like, look, I, I, I don't use profanity. What is the mark? What is the mark of you as a Christian? Well, that's what we're going to hopefully look at today in Romans 8, verses 12 through 25, which is the longest section of Romans 8 we're going to take. And as we read through this section in a moment, you're going to realize we could probably take about 12 sermons on this this text alone. I'm going to do it in one, Lord willing. And here's what I hope we're going to learn. And, and when you walked in the door, you should have got a bulletin. The bulletin has a big idea on it. The big idea in the bulletin has a couple misprints. So uh, make sure you get the one from off the screen uh, because that's the right one. And here's the big idea. Because of our union with Christ, the Spirit of God resides within us. He is daily at work in us, reminding us that we are God's children and that we have a future hope. I want to read that again. Because of our union with Christ, the Spirit of God resides within us. He is daily at work in us, reminding us that we are God's children and that we have a future hope. So would you stand with me? We're going to read Romans 8, 12 through 25, and then we will pray together that God would give us grace to open our eyes to the things that are in this text. Romans 8, verse 12, this is the reading of God's word. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of God to open our eyes to the wonder of Christ. But we also thank you that this text reveals to us the work of your spirit in us. And I pray today that you would, you would help us marvel once again at this great work of redemption, this great work of salvation that you've started from beginning in us and you will end this work in us by your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Open our eyes today to the wonders of Christ and to the wonders of your full work in us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Now let's read that big idea again uh, just so we can get it down and see what we're going to look at this morning. Because of our union with Christ, the Spirit of God resides within us. He is daily at work in us, reminding us that we are God's children and that we have a future hope. So let's look at the first point in our outline, which is our union with Christ and the Holy Spirit. Now we're in a series right now in Romans 5 through 8 where we're studying what it means to be united with Christ. And we're talking about some amazing facts that the Bible says about what our relationship with is with God because of Christ. And we've seen some amazing things already. We've seen that we have peace with God. We have access to the grace of God. And we hope in the glory of God. And we've been reconciled to God. And this is all true because of God's gift of grace to us. That God would give us Jesus' righteousness or Jesus' perfection. And he would accredit it to us as if we had been righteous like Jesus. This is all true because we are united with Christ by faith. But we also saw that in Christ, our sinful selves died when Christ died on the cross. And a brand new life was raised when Jesus was raised from the dead. Literally, in our union with Christ, by faith, we do not have to obey sin's power anymore. And sin's penalty of spiritual death is no longer hanging over our heads. Christian, condemnation is no longer hanging over you. We have died to sin and we've been raised to live in a radically different, brand new way. 
And we've also seen that our union with Christ, because Christ perfectly obeyed God and fulfilled every ounce of God's law for us, we are freed from the law of perfection. Now this is remarkably helpful when you know that you're not perfect. It's remarkably helpful when you have the daily battle with the presence of sin in your life. Every day we feel sin pushing back against us when we want to do the right thing. Every day we feel sin pulling us as we struggle daily to follow Christ. So being freed from the law of perfection means that when we sin against God's law, which you will... In Christ, God no longer condemns you because of it. That's remarkably good news. It's good news because Jesus already made an A on the final. And when God relates to us who are in Christ, God relates to us as if we made an A on the final, even though we made a 20% in our everyday life. It's remarkably good news. We have been declared free from the condemnation of God because of Christ. Now listen, we're going to most certainly feel bad when we sin against God. We're going to feel convicted about what we've done because if we're a child of God, we want to honor God. But we are not eternally undone because of our sin. See, listen very clearly, brothers and sisters. This is remarkable news. Your sin does not determine your relationship with God anymore. Christ determines your relationship with God from now to eternity future. That's remarkably good news. Remarkably good news. And when we jumped into Romans 8 last week, Dave Quilla did a great job of walking us through verses 1 through 11. But he said something that when he said it, my my soul jumped. And it's something I, I don't ever want to forget. And here's what Dave said that I don't want you to forget. He said this, our eternal security is based on the work of God in Christ. And that is objective and never changing. Now you just let that settle into your soul for a moment. Let, let that just sink deep into your the crevices of your heart. As unchanging as God is, the Bible would call this, he's immutable. He never changed, he never changes. As, as unchanging as God is, that's how unchanging God's relationship is with you in Christ. So when God says he forgives you past, present, and future, you know God forgives you past, present, and future. God isn't suddenly going to walk in the door when you blow it, which you will, and say, okay, now I'm finally going to deal with you with the way I've always wanted to deal with you. As unchanging as the character of God is, he is unchanging his relationship with you because of Christ. That is remarkably good news. So with the backdrop of those that in mind, we've seen all we have united to Christ. Dave introduced us last week to another aspect of our union with Christ that we need to pay attention to. And it's this. We have the Holy Spirit residing within us. Notice again Romans 8 verses 9 through 11. And Dave preached on this last week, so I don't need to re go over it, but I want you to notice something from it. You, Christian 
are of the Spirit, capital S. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And if Christ is in you, the Spirit of life is in you because righteousness is on your side. Now, here's a here's an interesting question. We all would know the, the, the verse, the wages of sin is death. What's the wages of a righteous life? It's life. So if God accredited to your account the righteousness of Christ, what Christ earned through his righteous life is life. Therefore, what will you get? The wages of Christ's righteous life on your behalf is life being given eternally and life into your mortal body of the spirit of God residing within you. And this spirit of God that is in you is the same spirit, according to Romans 8, that raised Jesus from the dead. And he is at work in you to bring life, the life of God, the new life into your mortal body. See, in this text in Romans 8, 9 through 11, we we get the answer to the question, what's the mark of the Christian? What is the mark? What's the difference between you and a Mormon doing good works? Say, well, it's faith. No, it's not faith. According to this text, it is the Spirit of God alive in you. You can see it very clearly in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, when he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to God. So we could put it another way. Anyone who belongs to God has the Spirit of Christ residing within them. See, what Romans 8 begins with, and you're going to see this all the way through the sermon even next week, is it begins with this amazing truth. Our union with Christ means we have peace with God. We have access to God. We have hope in the glory of God. We're dead to sin, and we're alive to right living. But what makes all of this possible is what Romans 8 is revealing to us, that we are made spiritually alive now listen, because the presence of the living God is alive in each of us. And that spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So you can see a picture of this back in the book of Exodus when Moses is having a dialogue with God about whether or not God's going to go with them or not on their journey. And Moses says, Lord, out of all the people of the earth, what sets us apart is your presence with us. We will not go forward unless your presence is with us. Well, brothers and sisters, think about what we have in this New Testament era. The Spirit of God doesn't just go with us. The Spirit of God resides within us. The presence of God is the mark of the people of God. And when God, when God wanted to make us His own, what did He do? He sent His Son to die for our sin, rise again from the dead, and then when He resurrected us to new life, He gave us His own Spirit to live it out. I mean, again, what, what did you offer to salvation? I'll tell you what it was, the sin for which Jesus died for. God came and resides within us and he gave spiritual life to our mortal bodies through the presence of his Holy Spirit. I mean, in Christ, we have been forgiven of our sin, made right with God and set free from condemnation. That, that's good news in and of itself. 
But then God, his own presence, his spirit is then actively involved in us and residing in us right now is the mark that makes us Christians. In our union with Christ, we have the spirit of God residing in us right now. That's remarkable news. So listen, if you're a Christian, you are filled with the spirit. There's no second-class citizens. There's those that are filled and those that aren't. No, no, no. You have the Spirit of God residing in you right now. And there's a reason for it, and that's where Paul goes in the text. So let's look at the next point, which is the Spirit's daily work in us. You're going to see this in verses 12 through 18. See, because we've been made spiritually alive by the Spirit, we are no longer obligated or under duty to obey our sins. See, We have been set free from sin's mastery because of Christ's death and resurrection. But the Spirit's residency in us is what empowers us to overcome our sin. And this is remarkably helpful knowing the daily battle we have with sin, as we saw in Romans chapter 7. Sin is right at our elbow all the time. Its its presence is always with us. There's an eternal fight going on all the time in us with sin's presence. And the Spirit of God residing in us is who helps us. We are no longer obligated or under duty to obey sin. Instead, we're freed to obey God. And we're freed to obey God because the Spirit of God helps us. Now, in this text, Paul brings out three ways the Spirit helps us. Notice in verses 12 through 14 that the Spirit leads us to put to death our sinful works. See, before faith, you came to faith in Christ, Christian. The reality is you're you're a corpse. You cannot resist sin. Now, by sin, that doesn't mean daily, everyday sin, right? When we, you know, people say, well, look, I know non-Christians that they, they don't sin, It's the category of sin, being judged under sin, being condemned because of your sin that Paul is talking about being freed from. The mastery, the control of your life was underneath the realm of sin. And before Christ, you're dead in the water to obey your sin. But once you put your faith in Christ, there's a new power at work in you. And that new power isn't just something you conjured up. The new power is the presence of the living God. The Holy Spirit. And he helps us to put to death our sinful deeds, sinful works, sinful things that we do every day. And he does it by a few ways. He convicts us of our sin. He makes us know it's wrong. And then he helps us see what is right to do it differently. I remember years ago, a young man that I was coaching, he came to faith in Christ. It was an exciting time. The kid had never, he'd never heard the gospel. I shared the gospel with the kid. He responded to the gospel and he immediately then went home and began to read his Bible. He came back two days later and he says, pastor, I, or coach, I got a question for you. Um, so I'm reading in the Bible and I'm being convicted about something I'm doing and I, I need to know if this is right or not. But I'm being convicted about the fact that I'm having sex with my girlfriend. Does that need to stop? I said, it does, man. I said, you know, that's, that's an activity safe for marriage. And here's why. And explain. And he said, okay, done. Kid walked away and said, you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to give into that anymore. He instantly became convicted about a sin that he did not know was a sin. That's what the spirit of God does in us. 
He reveals to us things that are not honoring to God and then shows us the right way to live our lives. And we give ourselves to that. Now, the best place I know of that describes this is in Colossians chapter 3, where Paul wrote a few things about this. Notice what Paul wrote when he said to put to death what is earthly in you, and then he lays out a bunch of sinful stuff. But then he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of God. The Spirit of God is what helps us put off the old man and bury it and put on the new man and live completely different. Now, years ago, when I was wrestling through this idea, I was talking to an old pastor friend of mine. This guy's from the South, and he always had some great things that just seemed to put it in a nutshell. And I said, I said, hey, man, how how do you see this putting dying daily thing? And he says, oh, he says, the way I see it is every morning I get up and by the spirit of God alive in me, I just have a good old murder every day. <laughs> I said, well, that's awfully violent. I mean, you know, it seems a little weird. What do you mean by murder? He goes, I get up every morning. I said, listen, old man, you're not going to win today. I'm going to kill you every time. I'm going to murder you. And I just have a murder every morning of my old man. Now, all he was doing, you can see, what he's doing, he is personalizing his sin and basically saying you're not going to win today I'm giving myself to follow Christ and I'm going to bury you right and you all know those moments I had one of those moments yesterday my son and I were out working on a project and we're putting up some two by tens up on top of these you know six by sixes that are eight and a half feet in the air higher and we're trying to nudge this thing through and I have it sitting on something and and all of a sudden he does something and it knocks the board down and something begins to smash on my foot. And I immediately looked over at him and instead of murdering him, I murdered my old man. I mean, I went to work like, no, you do not have mastery right now. <laughs> right? You, you sudden, you, we all know these moments. And what Paul is saying, which is remarkable, is that by the Spirit of God, Helping us, we can put to death the deeds of our old man and be alive to Christ. Now, now what's fascinating in the text, and you'll see this, this is what Paul talks about, about being led by the Spirit. Now, I know a lot of us are very Pentecostal in nature. We think of charismatic things. We love the work of the Spirit. And we think being led by the Spirit means something that is not what Paul is listing in the text. In the text, Paul is talking about dealing with our sin and putting to death our sinful deeds and being alive to the good works that God would want for us. That, at the very baseline, is what it means to be led by the Spirit. Most of us think to ourselves, being led by the Spirit is this kind of Clouds begin to align up. We need some direction and bam, we're led by the spirit. And suddenly it's this mystical journey that we're on to be led by the spirit. And we're getting these odd, spontaneous words from God that direct our traffic. But in reality, Romans eight is about this daily walk of faith that says this. I'm going to have a murder every morning of my old man and I'm going to get up and I'm going to follow Christ. At the baseline of being led by the Spirit is a daily walk of faith, putting to death sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful actions, and living life in the power of the new man, which is united to Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit. 
See, the Spirit leads us and helps us by putting to death our sinful works. But the second way you're going to notice in the text that the Spirit helps us in verses 15 and 16 is He helps us by reminding us that we are God's children. See, we can put sin to death by the power of the Spirit because we are children of God. If you're not a child of God, you're not putting, the, you can't put to death the deeds of the flesh. You're underneath its banner. It's under mastery. It's under its condemnation. And the Spirit is bearing witness or reminding us or speaking to us over and over again that we are indeed God's children. And this Spirit alive in us is not going to lead us back into condemnation. He's not going to lead us back into fear. He's going to lead us into our adoptive privileges of being children of God. I mean, what the Spirit of God is reminding us is you're not just under a new king like a federal head or a, a, a judge. You're under a brand new father. See, king speaks of something that is formal. The father speaks of something very informal and intimate. And we need this daily reminder, don't we, because of our struggle with sin? You know what sin does to you? It beats you down. <laughs> sin makes us forget who we are in Christ. Who we belong to makes us doubt our salvation. What sin does in me personally, as a man of my own nature, sin says to me, really, you're a pastor. A pastor would do that? And then after it deals with that and kind of keeps beating that up, it gets down even farther and says, huh, do you really think the Spirit of God's alive in you that you'd do that? Hmm. Who are you? Are you even a Christian? And yet, at the same time, you... You're standing up and preaching about things, and do you apply these things? See, do you, do you see what sin does to you? Do you see why you need the Spirit's daily reminder that you are a child of God? See, listen, I, 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 know, I know that we struggle with sin, and what the Spirit of God basically does, he comes in and he says something like this. Hey, child of God, I know you struggle with sin. I know you even gave in. To your sin. But you, you're not your own. You belong to God. Keep moving forward with my power and my spirit. See, that, that's the spirit's work in us. The spirit does not draw us back to say you are condemned eternally. The spirit says, no, because of Christ, you have a father you can run to. That's the Spirit's work. He's daily reminding us that we are God's children. But there's another way in the text that we see the Spirit's help, and that's found in verses 17 and 18. The Spirit reminds us of our future home and our future hope. See, there's two great challenges you face in this world right now. People would say, well, there's three. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil, and those are true. But in the text, Paul's dealing with two. There's a daily struggle with sin, and there's daily suffering. The trials of this particular world. And we've already seen how the Spirit helps us put to death the deeds of the flesh and how the Spirit reminds us that we are God's children. But He is also encouraging us to pick our heads out of the clouds of suffering to see the horizon of our future hope. You'll notice what Paul says in the text that, that we are inheritors. We are, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That, that text alone could be about five sermons. Okay. So we're going to do it in, in one brief moment. What that means, it means that if you're united with Christ by faith, 
The same inheritance that God has planned for Jesus is the same inheritance that God has planned for you. Now let that just, just, just shock you. The same inheritance that God has planned for Jesus, God has planned for those who are in Christ. That's how deep your union is with Christ. And then Paul adds this one little caveat. He says, provided we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. Now, I know of some in the Christian world who would say something like this. Well, in order to make sure that we are going to be glorified with Christ, we need to make sure that we're going to suffer for Christ. So they will put themselves in odd situations. and They'll put themselves in moments they know they're going to get beat. They are going to pursue a good beating. Because in their mind, a good beating means I will be glorified with Christ. But you can see how that's a really in the covenant of works, can't you? If I pursue suffering, that will give me glorification. So Paul cannot be speaking about that. And further, when you look at the rest of the text, you're going to notice Paul is dealing with living in a Genesis 3 world and the groanings that go on with the Genesis 3 world. I think what Paul is talking about here is all suffering that is associated with living in this sin-stained world, yet doing that in Christ. Sickness, disease, hardship, Broken relationships, heartache, death, sorrow, persecutions because of our faith. But in our union with Christ, we are united with him even in our suffering. See, suffering takes on an entirely different meaning when we're in Christ. Leon Morris said it best when he wrote this. We are one with him in his death, but our sufferings are not meaningless. We suffer in order that we may also share in his glory. The path of suffering is the path to glory. See, the Spirit reminds us that suffering in this present world is not futile. The Spirit reminds us that this sin-stained world is not our final destination. The Spirit reminds us that while suffering hurts, God has something better planned for His people. The Spirit of God is like a homing beacon inside of you, reminding you that home is not that far away. Some of you might be people of the 80s. If you are, you're my people, right? You might remember the movie E.T. Remember E.T.? Phone home, right? And he had this homing beacon. The Spirit of God is this homing beacon reminding us to phone home. Home is not that far away. Now listen, I hope when you're seeing the Spirit's help, Christian, you're noticing something. There is a daily present help that you have in your union with Christ. And it's the spirit of the living God residing within you. And life's sins and struggles do not keep you from his active presence. No, no, no. He is helping you daily through this Genesis 3 world. He's helping you to die daily to your sin, to have a good old murder every morning. 
He's stirring you to call God your father. He's reminding you that you are God's child. And he's reminding you of your eternal home. That there is a day coming when all of this will be done. So Christian, listen. You need to listen closely. You, this means you can die to your sin. Because the spirit of God is alive in you. Means all those little favorite sins or things that you struggle with that are your own personal things that you battle with, you can die to those things and live by the Spirit's power. But it also means something else. Your suffering and your trial in this Genesis 3 world is a gift of God to basically remind you of something. This is not your final destination. God has something greater planned for you. And that's a great lead into our last point, which is a future hope. And you'll see this in verses 18 through 25. See, there's a, there's a shift in the text. Verse 18 is a unique shift. It's like a, it's like just moving us from, from earth to picking our gaze up to something different. It moves us from everyday life to our future hope. When Paul wrote these words, the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory That is to be revealed, which is a remarkable promise. What God has planned for those who trust him is beyond anything this world has to offer. And listen, as bad as your sufferings are, as bad as the challenges are that we face, the good we will experience will far exceed the bad. And that cannot even be compared. The chasm is too deep. Christian, this life is the worst you will ever have to experience. Now, that's a remarkable thought when you just spend a week on the beach. It's a remarkable thought when you're outside with your kids and they're playing blissfully and happily and you're like, this is heaven on earth. That is the worst you will ever experience if you're united with Christ. What remarkable news. And notice in the text how Paul talks about our sufferings. He wrote about them in universal terms on one side. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Verse 21, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. See, creation under the bondage of sin is growing weeds and thorns and thistles. And one guy this morning said, yeah, and dandelions, right? And you're fighting them every day of your life if you're trying to do any type of yard work. The blackberry bushes produce those beautiful things called blackberries, but those thorns, man, those are straight from the pit of hell. I mean, right, That that the earth is producing this. Hurricanes, tsunamis, avalanches, What are they revealing? It's revealing an earth that creaks and it groans under the curse of sin, or as Paul even says, the pains of childbirth. Suffering is universal, friends. Everybody will suffer. Everybody will. I just did a memorial service yesterday. And what I said in that memorial service message was, we will all face death. There's two things we'll face in the U.S., death and taxes. We're going to face them, right? you got to deal with them. 
All of us will die. Suffering is real. Every human, every creature of the earth cannot escape the suffering that is in this sin-stained world. It's, it's everywhere. Parents, you can shield your parents, your kids all you want. Suffering is coming. It will happen. It's universal. But then Paul wrote about it in personal terms. Notice verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly. See, there's a theology in our world that basically says as Christians we will escape the suffering of this world. That's not what Paul just said. There's a theology that says we can escape certain judgments and certain challenges of living in this Genesis 3 world. That's not what Paul just said. It's as if Paul, through the prophetic power of God, looks down through the annals of human history and he sees us in Roseburg, Oregon, 21st century, and he sees your suffering. He sees the cancer diagnosis. He sees the letter left on a table from your spouse telling you that they're done. He sees a rebellious child who has said, I never want to have anything to do with you ever again. He looks at the annals of history and he sees every one of us and he says this, we groan inwardly. And in our groaning, we are waiting anxiously. We suffer. We have anxieties. We have disease. We have death. We have financial turmoil. We have personal loss. We have grief and pain. We who have the spirit, we groan inwardly, but we wait eagerly. We live in a Genesis 3 world, and we're affected by sin's curse on this planet. Even though we have the spirit, we're not immune to the suffering of this present age. Because we have the spirit, we will suffer to wait eagerly. But what are we waiting on? What are we longing for? What, what is there in the end? Notice how Paul talks about this. He, he describes it as we're waiting for the glories to be revealed. And notice how he described it in the text. Verse 19, the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 21, the creation will be set free from its bondage and obtain the glory of the, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 23, the redemption of our body. See, this is a time that Paul's describing When time is no more. When the king of all history decides he's going to roll up the scrolls of history and it's done. When he decides the groaning is over and the suffering is to cease. It's when he decides that he will make all things new and the peace of his kingdom will reign and the righteousness of his goodness will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It's a time... That what we are as God's children will be finally realized, completed, and fulfilled. It's a time that first John talked about when John wrote these words. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. It's a time that Paul wrote about in Colossians 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you all also will appear with him in glory. See, the glories to be revealed is when all things are completed, when the child of God is finally home and our little homing beacons turn off. And it's that glory in Romans 8 
that Paul says is so far beyond our wildest dreams that our present day sufferings aren't even worth comparing to. It's the glory that Paul referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, when he says, It is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Aren't you glad that even though you might look at a Disney film and think that's what heaven may be, Disney has never thought of in all their creativity what God has planned for those who love him. Hallmark has never thought of what God has planned for those who love him. When the sufferings of this present age will be drowned from the peace like a river. When the turmoil of our times will be washed away by our vision of Christ. Paul says it's in this hope that we are saved. This hope is what we're saved for. And hope is that happy certainty that better days are yet ahead for those who are in Christ. Days so good that our bad days don't even compare. It's that future hope that we wait for with longing patience. We long and we wait and we wait. We suffer and we wait. We look and we wait. They may say, what does all this have to do with the Spirit of God? That we talked about at the beginning of the sermon being the mark upon us. Well, friends, two ways. One is, it's the Spirit of God's job to remind you through your daily struggle with sin and your daily battle with suffering that there are better days ahead. It's His job to help us overcome our sin, that we are God's children and He is our Father. In our suffering, he is the one reminding us that better days are coming. He's the one lifting our head up above the clouds to see the shores on the horizon that they are coming. He is giving us hope. That's his job. But also I want you to be aware of something, that the Spirit of God living in you is the guarantee that you will make it home. You can see why Paul would say, if you have no spirit, you're not a child of God. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul wrote about the spirit in some remarkable ways, and here's what he said. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now look at this. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it And he just says this funny phrase, to the praise of his glory. In other words, God sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. God, through his spirit, raised you to, to brand new life and then resides within you and says, I'm your ticket to heaven and I'm going to guarantee you're going to get there. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, and the only one who has the authority to break that seal is the Holy Spirit of God. You don't have that authority. Neither does Satan. Neither does the world. Neither does your suffering. Neither does your sin. The presence of God in your life is because of your union with Christ, and that presence of God in you, the Spirit of God, is the promise, the guarantee that you're going to make it there. So it's a Christian dude. Do you see how secure your hope is? (laughs) It was bought with the blood of redemption. It was sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, you're getting home. 
you're going to get there. Do you see how secure you are in Christ? In your union with Christ, you have the Spirit of the living God residing within you. What great news that is. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. You don't have a promise of future hope. You have a promise of facing the wrath of God. We would say to you, put your faith in Christ. Turn to Christ. There are better days ahead. If you're not a Christian, this world is the best you will ever experience. But in Christ, there's a future hope if you put your trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of the great work of your spirit within us. And thank you that salvation is indeed a work of God from beginning to end. That you sent your son, God the son, came to live for us and die in our place. And he was raised from the dead by the spirit of God. And the spirit of God opens our eyes to Christ, and we have faith to believe. And the Spirit of God resides within us because of our union with Christ, and your Spirit is what's going to get us home. Thank you. You are truly the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, help Help us. Help, help us as Christians when we, we struggle with our sin. I pray for my Christian friend who is battling with the daily presence of sin. Help them to live in the victory that is theirs in Christ by the power of the Spirit. I pray for my Christian friend who has struggled to see the meaning of their sufferings. And I pray that you'd lift their head above the clouds to see their future home. And this isn't it. And I pray for our non-Christian friends who are here, who are listening, that they need Christ. Would you open their eyes to the wonders of Jesus to put their faith in Christ? What a gift is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. We thank you, Lord. And now we choose to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.